All right, friends, the Unbuilded Podcast this week, a little bit different than what we've done in the past. Uh, I'm doing a short intro for you because I've got a big announcement for you. As of the first of the year, the Unbuilded Podcast, which, of course, Jake, Steve, uh, we've known Peter for years, contributors to the Build Show Network. The podcast will be available, of course, in all the other locations you've seen it, but it'll also be added to the Build Show Network podcast. We're kind of... Uh, Adding a few of our contributors' podcasts, and the Unbuild It will be the very first one we've added besides the Build Show podcast. Super excited about that. And this week's podcast episode is actually kind of a relook. I was the guest on, I can't remember, was episode eight or nine on the Unbuild It way back when, uh, even before I think the Build Show Network was a thing. Uh, you know, these guys have been podcasting a lot longer than I have. So anyways, we're going to be rewinding time a little bit and replaying that. And as of the first of this brand new year, I want to invite you guys uh, to listen to the Unbuild It podcast on the buildshownetwork.com as well. With that being said, happy holidays. I uh, wish you guys a fantastic New Year's, and I'll look forward to seeing you at Build Show Live in just a few short months. Welcome back, Unbuild It podcast listeners. We're live here today, and we got a surprise for you. Yes, at the last podcast at the end, I wasn't feeling positive vibes with Peter Yost anymore, so I temporarily fired him, <laughs> and he is out of the picture. Um, today, down the drain. Today, we have a special guest, um, Matt Risinger. Some of you might know him, and Matt is here. And not only is he here, but this is kind of an interview process yep. for the new potential seat. <laughs> Steve, on on the audition take. I didn't so. realize this was going to be audition, Steve. I would have probably taken this more seriously <laughs> had I realized. Especially because this is yep. a paying position, isn't it? It's, yes, very well paid. That's what I thought. Peter's out. So we just recoup. That's like getting rid of the all-star, you know, first baseman. He's out. So now we have some uh, money for talent. Love it. Plenty, plenty of room in the team budget. Like $3.2 million hey, annual. That, listeners, before you get too much <laughs> in an uproar, Peter's not out. Um, Peter's just on the bench today, and uh, we're very fortunate to have Matt Risinger from Risinger Build, Build Show Network, all the above here joining us today to give you guys some insight into his world, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try and play nice here. Thanks for having me, guys. Sure appreciate it. And I think, I think that while uh, most of the people that have found us organically probably know who you are, Matt, but... Why don't we uh, Why don't we start with you introductions and then and why don't you tell us how you got into this business in the first place? Yeah, sounds good, Jake. So uh, I'm a builder in Austin, Texas. Been uh, been here in Austin for 15 years now. That's when I started my own company uh, back in 2005. Uh, prior to that, I'd been building for 10 years for other people. Uh, got my start as a 22 year old with a big national builder working in Washington D.C. And then after getting married a couple of years, we decided to move with my wife's job out to Portland, Oregon. And I moved from working as a production builder to a semi-custom builder in Portland. I learned a ton about uh, a whole different climate moving to Portland. And shortly after I moved there, the kind of big national... And rain. And rain and the big national mold <laughs> crisis hit us. And uh, we were caught severely flat-footed building fairly... Uh, leaky houses, <laughs> unfortunately. And so it kind of got thrown in the mix with attorneys and uh, industrial hygienists. And we had to buy back some houses. And we also built some houses with EFIS, uh, kind of a face sealed, really bad fake stucco system. And uh, so uh, in that kind of crucible, I started learning building science and getting more interested in building better houses that were frankly not going to get uh, me as a builder sued. And, uh, and then when I moved here in 05, I started my custom home building company and here we are 15 years later and, and, uh, I've hit the pinnacle. I've been on the, uh, unbuilded podcast. So I think I'm going to go ahead and retire this year. <laughs> Hang up the boots. This what do you think? Is, this is what we've all been working <laughs> I mean, towards. It's the big yeah. show right here, guys. <laughs> go ahead, Jake. Okay, sorry. I, I like I like the fact that when we're on a podcast, we forget that we're all laughing and nobody's <laughs> talking and it's just dead air for everybody. So you went to, did you go to school to get into this, Matt? Sort of. Um, my uh, construction background starts in junior high. Uh, the church I went to as a, as a young kid, uh, 
um, got me as a seventh grader working out on job sites in Pittsburgh for inner city people, generally uh, older people, elderly that own their own houses in Pittsburgh where I grew up, which was like gorgeous mansions that had been abandoned uh, by the rich people that built them when Pittsburgh kind of had this white flight into the suburbs. And so we had this really interesting ministry that we got involved with as a junior. I, I got to go as a seventh grader where we got to repair these old houses for elderly people that owned the house but couldn't afford to maintain them. So I was rebuilding front porch decks and painting and doing all these interesting things on houses as a seventh grader, which coincidentally was when I started watching this old house and I didn't know anybody in the building business. My dad was in the steel business. I worked for us steel for many years. And, um, so through my kind of junior high and high school years, I did that. Then when I got into college, I loved it and was, it was so satisfying to see these houses go from, uh, one of them in particular, I remember, uh, was a condemned property. Uh, and, and we ended up getting it uncondemned by the city after doing some serious extensive repairs. And so in college, I studied uh, industrial engineering and thought I wanted to work for a manufacturing company. But when I was a senior uh, interviewing for jobs, this is before the Internet, I couldn't figure out how to get a job at Toyota. Uh, and instead, a big national home builder came recruiting in college and uh, I didn't sign up for the interviews. I thought, I don't you know, I don't want to be a builder. I don't I don't know any builders. I can't imagine I, I could have a career as a carpenter. That was kind of my only assumption as a builder. Uh, and so this national builder came to interview on campus. I went to their their night before the interviews talk that someone invited me to. Like, here's what the job looks like. And as these uh, these guys were talking about their job, I, I instantly was like, whoa, I had no idea this wasn't even an option. I, I Again, I didn't know any builders growing up. And so I went up after the interviews and said, guys, I don't have a slot for tomorrow, but you got to get me in this. I was born for this. This sounds incredible. Uh, and <laughs> what was the what was the thing that those guys said that I assume like if you were thinking about going into being a plumber, the plumbers on the job would talk you into doing it because you could get a boat. But what did what was it that the guys hmm. that were already working for them? What was their sales pitch that brought you in? Yeah, the big sales pitch for me was uh uh, lots of responsibility, uh, and no office. And I really enjoyed those things. I liked working outdoors. I liked construction. I love the idea of having a pickup truck as an office, uh, and having the responsibility of lots of houses under construction. Cause I loved construction, uh, and that they would train me to be a, a real builder. You know, up to that point, I'd just been trained to be a handyman and fix plumbing and do painting and do all these things that I enjoyed, uh, but I, I didn't, I certainly didn't know how to build a house and had never, uh, done any framing work. Um, but so this company was basically saying, look, yeah. we'll give you 10 houses to build at a time. You get to manage the process. And, uh, and by the way, you get a, a pickup truck and you get a job office and you get the freedom you get a of cool truck and a laptop. Yeah. Well, no laptop back phone. then. Uh, a pager is all I had. <laughs> In 95, uh, no computer, just a pager. I, in fact, I remember... Jake, Jake, a pager is that little device that goes on your side and somebody calls it and it buzzes and it gives you a phone number. You have to I've call I've seen it movies. <laughs> I've seen it in the movies. I remember uh, it in the movies. Steve, do you remember going from a regular pager to a <laughs> alphanumeric pager when you could actually get a message on your pager? <laughs> yes, I, I remember that. I remember working the very first Motorola cell phone, oh, the brick yeah, it was baby. called. The brick. The fab, battery yes. in that was literally the size of a brick. <laughs> Those are awesome. Uh, I never had one. The guy, the one of the project managers I worked for, had a car phone, and I remember being on a call with him in the car one time. Like, whoa, this uh, he's like an astronaut. Okay, then I'm I'm gonna I'll share the the cell phone story. My I you know I'm second generation in this company. My. uh my dad was the first person I knew that had a cell phone and I thought that was really cool and it was neat for his business that he was going to have a cell phone and he was going to be able, we we're going to be able to get a hold of him during the day and everything. And he stuck it in his breast pocket the first day he got it and leaned over to clean drywall tools and it dumped into a bucket of water and he took it to the 
uh, cell phone carrier and said this thing fell in a bucket of water and they gave him a loaner phone. And I remember that he still had that loaner phone like six years later. He never went back to get the actual repaired phone. He just kept the one that they loaned him. (laughs) I was like, well, I guess if it works. I got my own cell phone story. So back with back in the days of the brick, right? I told you, everybody knows I was in the Marine Corps. Well, I used to drive the the general and admiral around. Well, that's where we had the cell phone. So it was my first time I ever had a cell phone and I was young and naive. So I was like, hey, man, this is cool. I'm living in Hawaii. I'm sitting in this car. I got this cell phone thing. Let me call all my buddies. So I started calling all my buddies back to Massachusetts from Hawaii, calling them all the time, <laughs> chatting the it up <laughs> on the cell phone bill. About four weeks later, the captain, the general's aide, comes over and says, hey, by any chance, have you been using that cell phone? And I said, yeah, I might have a little bit. He said, a little bit? We got about $1,600 in phone calls here. That's a little bit more than a little bit. So he's like, let's not let that happen again. I was like, let's yeah. Let's not do that anymore. That was the last time I used that for uh, personal use. But, oh, man. Anyway, that was fun nonetheless. It was like a dollar fifty a minute for long distance charges, too, or something. I remember back in the day. Yeah, I just got to get this out. Just so you know, Matt, Jake's first cell phone was a Samsung Galaxy 8. <laughs> <laughs> when he was in junior high. Yeah. <laughs> I love you both. Uh, okay, so they sold you. You went to work for that builder. How long were you there? Gosh, I worked for those guys my first seven years out of school. So from 22 to 29 uh, years old. And I started as an assistant superintendent on the job. And uh, to, to their credit, they gave me a one-year training program that was really good. But they were building junk houses, man. I mean, I, I just didn't know any better because I was a 22-year-old and I was working. I was used to working on 100-year-old houses, so I just didn't have any frame of reference for what a, built, a well-built house was. Uh, but uh-huh. I worked my way up through the company um, uh, to uh, superintendent was what we called our field managers. And then I went into HR and recruiting. I recruited people out of college for a little while. That was a really valuable job, especially now as a as a owner uh, who's recruiting people to come work for me. It gave me some good, valuable skills in interviewing and uh, finding good people. And then they moved me into sales, and I sold new homes for a little while. Uh, and then when I left them, I went to a builder in Portland, Oregon, that hired me as a kind of a project manager um, where I had four or five superintendents underneath me. And the best thing that happened to me was I had warranty underneath me. And so anything that was above kind of the general warranty issue got escalated to me. And that's where I really got into it. Cause you know, within, that's invaluable. within that first month of joining that company, that's when they got hit with lawsuit after lawsuit uh, on mold issues and EFIS and some other stuff. So uh, instead of managing uh, the construction managers, what I was hired to do, I basically managed the lawyers and the risk management. And to that builder's credit, he's about 10 years older than I am. So, at, you know, at the time he was probably early 40s, you know, getting sued by multiple people. Uh, he radically changed his building practices and went from building a leaky sieve building to we were the first builder in Portland to integrate rain screens on all our builds. Uh, and at the time we ended up, and what year was that? That was 2001, uh, no, 2002, pardon me, 2002. Yeah. 2002, uh, in Portland, Oregon. And we're still having that argument about rain screens on a national level. Uh, Can you believe that? It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, that, that, one of the things I find really interesting about, um, your chat here, Matt, is, you know, quite often because of the platforms and the, and the way our lives are organized today, people look at people and say, oh, wow, look at look at Matt. I want to be just like Matt. But they don't realize that Matt has been Matt for, you know, the last 15, 20 years doing a lot of things that allowed Matt to be Matt. 
And the, the thing that I commend you on in, in what you're saying here is that it seems like you took every opportunity and turned it into something positive, right? You yeah. can sit there and say, oh, I'm going to build porches. Oh, I'm going to, you know, stupid contractors got me demoing it, mm-hmm. this building. Well, when you're demoing it, take the time to understand how is that building failing? Is there any water stains? What's happening in that building? Turn that demo into an education. For sure. If you're a young builder out there or aspiring contractor wanting to do better, then you really need to think about every moment and how can I make that moment a positive moment in my life, yep. which is pretty much what you know, you're know you talking about here, which I commend you on. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, I, I, re- I really feel that every, every builder should have to uh, spend a few years remodeling before they're allowed to build new. I was just going to say that. Or Jake. remodeling and repair. I was just going to say that. I learned so much demoing those houses. Well, not demoing. I should say remodeling new houses that were, you know, year old, uh, some of them not even six month old houses and finding out where the issues were on these relatively new houses. And coincidentally, at the time, I was also remodeling my Sears and Roebuck house that I bought in Portland, Oregon. That was a 19, like roughly 1930s house. Uh, And seeing what problems it did and, and frankly didn't have on that house. Uh, in an incredibly rainy climate. So the remodels over the years have taught me so much. And that same is true when I moved to Texas and started doing some remodels here, seeing how Texas houses fared. Uh, And it also showed me that climates are very different. And that was something I really had to struggle with when I moved to Texas. Like, why is it different here in Texas than Portland, Oregon or Washington, D.C.? And when I moved here, I uh, fairly early on did a couple remodels on houses that had this queen vapor barriers on the inside <laughs> and uh, found a lot of problems with that. And, and I had to really kind of wrap <laughs> my brain around, okay, why, why were there issues with these houses that had these vapor barriers that I was used to doing all the time in DC? It was code, you know, I was required to do it, but I never really thought about why. And then all of a sudden it's not working in this climate. So why am I having these problems? And, uh, and again, it was, Building Science, it was Joe Stebrick, it was, you know, all those resources that I had to kind of delve into to go, all right, how how is Texas a different climate zone and how am I going to build down here now that I'm in this new place differently than where I've built either in D.C. or in Portland, Oregon? And what was your uh, what was your introduction to building science like you said those things led you to it but what was the what was like the one thing that you you found something online you had somebody go oh you ought to look at this guy or what was that first thing that kicked you into being interested in building science yeah you know interestingly enough jake uh probably the very first time i ever heard that word was at an eba one day session that i went to in 2002 it was during that same kind of mold crisis time where we were trying to figure out like what's going on with these houses. Uh, and at the time DuPont was sponsoring a ton of that, uh, type of building science work because uh-huh. we were using, uh, just kind of whatever was off the shelf when it came to waterproofing and really trying to face seal everything, uh, you know, cock it in tight so no water can get by. Uh, and so I went to this EBA conference and it was actually Mark La Liberté that mm-hmm. was teaching that day. Uh, and I've heard them many times since, uh, it, but it kind of blew my mind. Was it one mind. of their uh, houses that work? Houses that work or works, something like that. Yeah. It's a great one day intro to building science. Yeah. Uh, Steve, houses that work. Yeah. Houses that work. Peter was actually one of the founders of that. He, uh, he's the one that helped set up and so organize that whole yeah, program. So valuable. Peter Yost did. And Steve, I know you and Peter have been doing something kind of similar with Huber on their roadshow, uh, kind of a one-day. Yeah, we have a, a series seminar that's called Home Building Crossroads, and uh, we travel around the country, go to different various cities. We did get to go down to beautiful Texas a couple times and hit Austin, Dallas, Houston, Um and uh, yeah, we bring a little building science. Peter brings some of the building science. You know, I, I tease him and I say, you know, Peter's going to teach you all about that ninth grade uh, science <laughs> that you didn't want to pay attention to in ninth grade. And uh, 
we laugh, but it's in, in some ways I say it because it is a little true, right? I mean, physics and building science isn't really that hard. It's uh, it's certainly no, not right. rocket science. It's building science, right? It, keep it keep it simple and pay attention. But Peter does just such a superb job. I mean, I've probably heard his talk no less than fifty times, and honestly, I still walk away it's with something certainly better after than every your time part. I hear him speak. Sometimes it's a headache, but sometimes. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. I can let you in on the top secret. Yeah, yeah you can't, see, you it, can't but... see it, but he's using his hands to make gestures. Uh, no, I, I can make fun uh, of I your shirt. Let you in on a secret because we know that this will publish after the fact. I'm starting a home building crossroads things with with Huber as well. That'll be hey. not with Steve and Peter, but a solo act where we do some hands on stuff and we do some uh, classroom style learning as well. Oh so man, that's awesome, that. Jake. Published from Huber's home building crossroads as well. Love it, man. So. That's fantastic. I love the series you did with. Uh, Fine home building where he did a bunch of hands on. In fact, I stole that for a video. Hopefully, I gave you credit in the video, but I stole that for uh, a window install detail video. I learned several things from you uh, on that. So, man, well, thank do you, that, man. That's great. That stuff. is a that is a good series. Very good series. <clears throat> he, he also did that awesome series down at uh, IBS with the other Boogie. guy. What's his name? Ben Boogie. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I know it's bogey, but I just had to. I had ben to the take that bogey. opportunity, Ben. I think that that's one there of the things. Go. I think the the window installation is an easy one to talk about because no matter how many times you talk about it, there's somebody standing there that goes, "That's not the way we do it." <laughs> and it's like, okay, but let's talk about why you do it your way and why this way, or let's talk about it better. why the manufacturer is wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's always good. <laughs> I have no, I have no problem saying the manufacturer is wrong. Either. Yeah, they are. So you have that you have that intro to building science, and then uh, you know is that that becomes part of your career at the, at that firm? Then if they're completely pivoting and changing the way that they're building houses, mm-hmm. yeah, it really was. Um, as we got more and more into building a more durable house, and frankly, a house that we wouldn't get sued by <laughs> by handing it over to the clients, uh, we ended up learning more about at the time. Uh, what we refer to as green building, uh, which unfortunately a bunch of greenwashing kind of led to that term dying. And I don't even use that term anymore, but it was ultimately it was building a durable house that was comfortable, that was air sealed, um, that had good mechanical equipment in it, uh, that controlled humidity. Uh, you know, all these things that we think of as high performance houses. Now, uh, we were calling them green houses back then. And we probably focused a little too much on uh, low VOC paints uh, and some of those kinds of things back in the heyday of green building, uh, as, as yeah. if that was a uh, a really pivotal moment. And and the that was the solution. That was the solution. Was low VOC paints? <laughs> it was a different paint. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So anyway, anyways, we were one of the largest builders in that area to go for a um, top tier rating in that program, uh, where Previously, we could care, we could cared less about getting into that program. So, you know, I think most builders get into um, uh, building science in a way to save their own bacon. And that was certainly me. And honestly, still is me today. Uh, I, I build very high exposure houses with high exposure clients. Uh, and so um, <laughs> I'm thinking every day about how I'm going to do these high exposure houses and high exposure clients in a way that's going to reduce my risk. Uh, and yeah. So let's, let's talk about you starting your business then and how it started and what the first couple of years looked like. Yeah. So when I moved here to Texas in 05, I didn't know anyone. This is my wife's hometown. She was pregnant uh, with our first kiddo. And when I moved here, I was actually living in my in-laws basement for the first couple of months So I had no job. I had a pregnant wife. My wife was working uh, and I was still trying to find myself like, what do I what do I how do I start a building company (laughs) when no one knows me when I don't know any subs? Here I am living in my in-laws basement for a few months. Yeah. And your your office address is uh, apartment D, the the basement. (laughs) Totally. It was terrible. Uh, and, and we ended up, well, we found a rental for a while. So I wasn't there. I wasn't in their basement too long. Uh, funny story during that time, though, her grandfather had passed away not too long previous. 
and I didn't have a car because my company car when I lived in Portland was a company pickup truck. Uh, and so I got her grandfather's 1988 um, LeBaron convertible <laughs> in red. <laughs> I was driving. Did it have the white white leather interior? <laughs> it did. Yeah. Yes, that's perfect. And a couple of... <laughs> <laughs> with a, that oh it was bad and here i am driving that around town like going to meetings and like talking to people about my new home building <laughs> company oh it's terrible so <laughs> so i think you underestimate how many people started their construction company out of a chrysler lebaron convertible with a ripped soft yeah yeah i'm not the only one there, i'm sure there's many so <laughs> I had, well, I'm sure there's somebody now starting one out of an 88. <laughs> it's a 98, hopefully not an 88 at this point. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. But uh, yeah, let's just say my <laughs> ego was a little bit in the tanks. So I definitely was starting at ground zero. Um, but so here I was in Austin, Texas. It was a good market. Oh, five. Austin was booming. Uh, and you know, again, I'm trying to figure out like, how do I, how do I start a company when no one knows me? Uh, and I had a little bit of money in the bank cause I'd sold my, uh, Sears and Roebuck house that I'd re- done a pretty much a full remodel on, on nights and weekends. I had no kids, so nothing better to do than just work on my house on the weekends. So I made, I made a nice chunk of change and that was my nest egg to start the company. Um, within a month or two, I, I did end up buying a used truck. Uh, sorry, I didn't have to drive the LeBaron anymore. Uh, and I got an investor. I talked to basically a family member in there and helping me uh, purchase a lot, hire an architect. I hired this guy, Peter Pfeiffer, uh, fairly well-known architect who goes. That's a decent first first spec architect. Yeah, yeah, I knew that he knew building science and he knew how to build in Texas and I didn't. Uh, and so I hired him to do a, a spec house in uh, a really prominent neighborhood right in town, you know, a couple, two miles from the Capitol. And so I started this spec house and was trying to figure out what subs do I use? And Peter was a big help. I got to say, I mean, he, he helped me get turned on to lots of good subs. He introduced me to a couple of good builders in town who were, you know, 15 years older than me. And several of them kind of became early friends and mentors to me. Uh, and I built that house. And then at the same time, I started building a second house. I got a second investor involved. And that second house was with a totally different architect who didn't get building science at all. But he was really good at modern architecture. And that house got on the AIA Homes Tour when it was completed. And I was able to sell it under construction to, uh, to a professor that was moving to town who really liked the style. That's a nice one. That was good. And that was really my my big breakout moment because this this professor had some means, brought in a California interior designer that got rid of my terrible selection that I'd made with my interior designer and <laughs> made it a good looking house on the inside. And that architect uh, did beautiful plans. They weren't particularly great from a building science perspective or a performance perspective, but they were pretty. Uh, and then that house got a bunch of press and got on the homes tour. And then that was around the time that I met, um, what, let me back up a minute. I started with no partner. I brought on a business partner, maybe a year or nine months into the company. Cause I was, I was kind of, uh, I was worried about how do I find local subs and I really should have someone who understands Texas. So I brought on this business partner, uh, and that was a mistake. He, he was a great guy, but the recession hit in 07 and very quickly, we were like, oh, how are we going to feed both families? This is just not going to work. And here I had, uh, thank God, I'd sold uh, my first spec house that I did with Barley and Pfeiffer. My second one was under contract and almost didn't close because the market was going down so badly. They they were trying to renegotiate their price before closing, which was terrible. And oh, that's tor- that's that was bad. Heartbreaking, was heartbreaking. too. And then I had started a third spec because this business partner and I were trying to get this business out of the ground. And so specs was the only thing we knew at that time. So here I started this this third spec. But the third spec was in a not so great neighborhood, like a third tier neighborhood, shall we say. And I'd put um, I was going to put a million dollars into this spec and try and sell it for like one point three. 
Well, as the time ticked on, I lost the business partner because we couldn't pay both of us. And I finished the spec and the months were just clicking by with no sales. The market was just zero. And I kept lowering my price and lowering my price. And finally, in 2010, I sold this house that I started in 07 and I sold it for a 250K loss. Uh, and also personally, that is an enormous chunk of change, a lot of change. And, uh, there's some good news and bad news and all this. The investor was a family member. Uh, and so I was able to say, Hey, I can't pay you now, but I will pay you. So can you hold off on me making payments? Cause the payments were like, you know, 6,000 bucks a month. Uh, and I didn't have that. And and they didn't disown you. They didn't you. disown me. I paid the bank loan off with the 750 <laughs> the, the buyer bought. And I ran my credit cards up to their max. So I had about 50K in credit card debt. So here I am, 2010. I've got two kids at this time. No business partner. Uh, 300K in debt that I owe uh, people between banks and, and a family member. And now, though, I did have at least one or two finished houses and somewhat of a reputation so I said, man, I'm not doing specs ever again. This is terrible. I, I just, I can't afford the loss. And frankly, it's hard to convince a buyer of a finished house that they should pay more than the next house down the street uh, because it's a better built house. Much, much easier to convince yep. someone before you build a house than after that it's worth more. Um, so I learned a lot of lessons. And so I, I ended up taking on a, a different business partner a few years later um, but the key takeaway for me then was don't do specs. And I also learned, you know, these architects, uh, in Austin in particular, which is a very design oriented community, they'll refer me business. If I show them that I won't X them out of the process, you know, that I'll respect them as a, as an equal partner in the, in the be inclusive. Exactly. And at that time there weren't many builders that were doing that. It was kind of a, an anomaly that the builder wouldn't just say, Hey, we got the plans. You know, fire your architect. You don't need to pay them to come out on the job site and see anything. We're going to be just fine. And by the way, all these details that cost so much money, we know what we're let's doing. Let's change that. We're not going to do that. We're going to do it cheaper. And, you know, I can get this guy to do it for half that cost. And so I didn't do that. That's brutal. And I ended up, you know, building a lot of great houses and some I made some money on and some I didn't. <laughs> but. Uh, but by 2015, I'd paid off hundred percent of that debt. And as of today, the only debt I have still, I've still have a little bit to pay off on my house, my main house. Um, but that's it. And since that time I haven't taken on, I've been really, um, cautious about ever taking on any business debt, any equipment or tools we own. We only pay cash, uh, or we buy them with a credit card, but pay it off. So I'm in a much more, so I think that much different place. Actually, Matt, I'm going to interrupt you real quick. Yeah, I think that that's uh, I actually had hoped that you would tell that story because you and I have talked about mm -hmm. that story before. Yep. Uh, and I think that darn near every builder that's been in business for any decent amount of time has a story like that. You know, I have a we have a mutual friend that builds on the East Coast that lost fifty thousand dollars on a kitchen renovation. Oh, yeah. I myself lost $180,000 on one job because I did change orders on a handshake before I realized that somebody out there was going to try to screw me out of money and they weren't just nice people that I was doing business yep. with. And I think that that's an important thing to point out to people and to know that there is a lot of risk, especially in that spec market that you're talking mm -hmm. about. I mean, that's why we exist in the remodeling and new construction because it's paid for. Yep, for sure. You know, either you have the money or you don't. Well, it, it's not only builders. It's it's not only builders, Jake. I, I went through the McDonald's drive through the other day, gave them a 20, expecting over $10 in change, and I only got $2.68 worth of change. They I, they got me for 10 bucks, and I was already mm. miles away before, so I couldn't go after them. So you're not the only one that was out <laughs> ten bucks. cash there, buddy. Thank you. Thank Us you. architects, you know, it's not easy. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. God, I'm so sorry, Steve, for your heartwarming apocryphal tale that allows everyone to understand. Uh, you're going to be able to pay your mortgage but this I think month, it's Steve? a valid... <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a we'll valid thing that we'll like we by. look at you know i'm sure that our listeners that know you already before our podcast look at you and go oh that guy's crazy successful he must be doing everything right they look at anybody that they follow on instagram or yeah. is putting out youtube videos and go oh that person knows what they're doing they don't make mistakes we all are still human. Yep. We all still make mistakes. And I think the thing to realize is how you recover and how you handle yourself. And you went to, you were lucky enough that you had an investor that was a relative and you were able to get leniency that you might not have if you had borrowed money from the mob or something. <laughs> but you, <laughs> you took care of your business and you made the business a priority rather than just walking away. And that was the same thing for me. And I decided that I could problem solve all of the mistakes that I had made with the appropriate procedures and paperwork and contracts. And that I had operated in the same realm that people operated in the 90s in our market where everything was just a handshake. Yep. And that was not the way of the world anymore and that I needed to be better protected. Yeah, I mean. And, and I think also, you know, credit to you, Matt, is. You, you never gave up and you turned every one of those lessons into a learning lesson so that the next time you went and did something, yeah, you didn't sure. do it the way you did it the last time. So, you know, you changed direction yeah. and uh, got remotivated. And now it sounds and like Steve and I on. both owe you money and, and we're asking for leniency. <laughs> <laughs> we're just kissing up. I wish I could say that was the last okay, time I lost so, money. I've, I've, uh, I've made some other pretty uh, big ones as well yeah. over the years and, uh, one one quick story though to follow up on that, Jake. I would say you know, in the last big recession that we had in Austin, uh, right before the recession hit, there was a builder in town that I really uh, admired. He he was a guy who was a few years younger than me, uh, who seemed to be super successful. He drove a big uh, fancy car. He drove like a Range Rover. Uh, always dressed impeccably. He was the president of our builders association. I thought every time I saw he had built a fancy house for his family, every time I saw him, I was a little jealous. Like, oh, why am I still driving this 10 year old truck? I'm such a loser. You know, I still wear jeans and boots every day. Uh, I need to be more like this guy. <laughs> and we'll come to find out when the recession hit, he had a bunch of spec houses. Um, he was starting to rob Peter to pay Paul from paying clients to pay other jobs. And ultimately, he, he stiffed a bunch of people in town. Uh, and I'm not telling this story necessarily to throw him under the bus, although I am sad that he that he ended up doing that. But the, the point is, I've seen him a couple of times since, and he ended up having to move out of our city. He he moved to another Texas town and he's not even in building anymore. He's in like commercial construction, whereas I didn't know how I was going to pay mm. that back. I went to everybody that I owed money to and said, hey including one of my subs, actually. I had one sub in particular, my HVAC contractor, that had a final bill that I didn't have the money for and said to him, hey, look, we've worked together for four or five years now. I know you don't know me super well, but I, I, I will pay this back. Uh, and if you give me three to four months, I'll make every payment and, um, and I'll get you taken care of. And sure enough, I did. And that sub is still on my job sites today. Uh, and same with my investor. I told yeah. that investor, Hey, look, I'm not going to be able to start payments for a little while, but when I do, I will pay this off. And you know, when I, when I made that last payment in 2015, my office had a little party because we fired Chuck, our employee that we had to pay the last five years, but, but wasn't worth anything. Uh, and so, <laughs> uh, it was a painful few years for me, but it's allowed me to maintain a reputation for having integrity uh, such that if something happens again and there's a problem, I'm able to then say to people, Hey, look, I'll take care of this. You know, whether that's, uh, you know, a sub, a supplier, whatever happens to be. And then the last thing is I've also really been cautious about taking on debt. And I think that's something that's really easy for us as builders to do is to take on debt. So be really cautious about how quickly you grow, about what tools you buy, about what truck you drive, you know, I'm driving my 12 year old Tundra most of the time these days um, because I'm I'm wanting to make sure that uh, I'm not going to uh, have that new car payment if something changes. I think that's a really valid point, too. We're we're our business has kind of grown in the same way. 
I uh, I do lease a building, but the the building's only five hundred dollars a month. Ooh. So can we even call that? Uh, you Good know, for you. That's awesome. Can we even call that an expense? No, you know? Almost not. Uh, no. And I have basically no equipment costs. I have one employee vehicle, and that's it. Everything else that we've ever purchased has been cash flow because. I don't know what the economy is going to do. I don't know if uh, COVID-19 is going to hit and all of a sudden we're going to be sitting at home. And while my business might be more profitable today, if I was willing to take on, you know, multiple pickups with Aero Building on the side and a building downtown that has a cool office that encourages people to buy houses from us, those are all expenses that I'm not willing to risk in the long run. Uh should the economy turn, yep. you know, yep. uh, I actually had a really, uh, uncomfortable conversation with my guys the other day about COVID-19. And one of them said, well, what happens if both of us decide we want to stay home? And I said, well, I can do my office stuff in the evenings and I can wear a tool pouch and I can cover all the bills to keep the company open until you guys come back to work. Yeah, that's right. Like that's, that's an incredible position to be in. Now it means that I'm only building one or two houses at a time. It means that I'm not, you know, grossing $4 million every year. It means that my income is uh, more moderate than a lot of builders, but I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. I, I get to pick and choose what I do. I get to work with the people I want. And I don't ever have to say yes to a job because I have bills that I need to pay. Boy, I haven't gotten into so much trouble over the years by doing that, Jake. Oh, I can think of several jobs In that fact, I took that I've I said have. no... I said no to two houses and a decent sized remodel this month uh, during a, an uncertain time in our economy, just because I could tell that the people that were asking were not people that we wanted to work for. So smart. And it's like, man, that, that freedom is incredible. So smart, you know, for sure, man. Love it. Love it. So after, uh, well, so you've you've grown a business and and part of the thing that I wanted to talk about while so much of this podcast is focused on building science and the concepts behind it. Uh, we haven't had a ton of conversations about how to run a business. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about social media. Yeah, for sure, Jake. And I wanted to talk to you about your beginnings in social media and what made you decide to get into it and uh, what your plan was in the beginning and where it's gone from that initial plan. Okay. So 2005, I started my company and maybe a year later, I went out to uh, California for the Custom Builders Symposium. I heard this guy, David Meerman Scott speak, uh, who wrote a book called The New Rules of Marketing and PR. And in an hour long speech, I was totally fired up about uh, how to do basically free marketing for my company, which was what he was talking about. You know, how, how do you market your business for free? And he wasn't using the word social media. That really wasn't a term in 2006. What he was talking about was starting a blog. Uh, you know, blogs were really popular back then. And so he said, look, instead of spending money on advertising, why don't you write once a week or twice a month, write a blog post about something that you're interested in and that will show you as an expert in your whatever industry you're in. And then you'll be shocked by how quickly people will find your blog. And then whenever someone Googles your name or your company name, they'll find this, these blogs and, and you'll see that traction will be gained. So 2006, I started Matt Reisinger in the Green Building blog uh, on blogger.com. <laughs> Is that still up? It's, uh, it's taken down now. Uh, maybe on the Wayback Machine you can find <laughs> it. But uh, And then like after six months, uh, somebody was like, hey, Matt, check out this new thing called YouTube. You can borrow my flip video camera and upload videos to YouTube and then uh, basically embed that YouTube link as a blog post so that now you don't have to write. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I can... I'm passionate about construction. I can, I can talk about it, but I have a hard time putting it into words. Uh, and so I, I put my first YouTube video up in 2007 and around that time, I maybe started a Facebook page as well for my company or maybe me personally, I can't remember. And so I was, you know, once, uh, every two weeks or maybe three weeks, I was publishing a video, putting a Facebook post out 
and then putting that video up on my my blog. And so, you know, I've been doing this for maybe seven or eight months. So I've got, you know, maybe, I don't know, 15 or 16 of these blog posts up and maybe, you know, 10 videos, let's say, or six videos. And I started going to meetings and at the meeting, like a, a prospect meeting, that is, the people would be like, oh, Matt, it's so great to finally meet you. I'd be like, what do you what do you mean? Finally meet me? They'd be like, oh, I watched all, <laughs> all six of your YouTube videos last night. Uh, I loved how you talked about the all 12 minutes of shaky camera. Oh, it was terrible. I was like, Mr. Plumber, <laughs> here, hold this camcorder, you know, hold this flip video camera. I wouldn't even edit it. I would I wouldn't even like cut it. I'd be the beginning of the video be, would be like, OK, is it on? Are you ready? All right, let's go. <laughs> is it recording? Is the, there's no light? I don't see the light. Yep. So 2007, I made my first YouTube videos and and I would go to meetings after having I had maybe six or 10 YouTube videos up and I'd go to meetings with these prospects. And all of a sudden, these you know, it was usually the husband would be like, Matt, so great to meet you. I'd be like, what do you mean? Good to meet me. Like, have have we met before? Or like, how do you know about me? He's like, oh, I Googled your name and your videos came up and I watched three or four videos about the difference between integrity and Marvin full line windows or about why you like spray foam insulation or about conditioned addicts or, you know, whatever it happened to be. And so I got this early feedback that like, you know, view count doesn't matter. It's all about putting yourself out there and people getting to know you and quality of quality of quality views. of views. Exactly. And the beauty of video is that people can get to know your personality and we make judgments pretty quickly about whether we like somebody. Uh, and we generally only do want to do business with people we like. Right. So if I look, <laughs> Steve made a face. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, uh, I, I thought you were going to say, <laughs> But <laughs> that's funny. I was certain Steve was going to lean forward and say, then you have him on a podcast and you change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyways, on the YouTube thing. Sorry, I, this is, this I, is mean, how I, I tell people, hey, social media is not really about you getting, uh, you know, 10,000 followers and being an influential person in our business. Certainly that can happen. And that that's happened to me and to you guys as well. But the main purpose of social media is to put some of your work out there, put some of your personality out there and let people know that uh, people are actually um, uh, that you're a person that they would want to do business with and that you're smart and that you understand what you're talking about, that you're passionate, that you have integrity, that you care and that you're going to build them or design them a good house. And if you'll commit to doing social media for around 15 minutes a week, you'll see dividends for it. And that's all I did to start with. I would say that I've sold uh, one house from YouTube and uh, assuming the people that Steve and I are working right with right now sign a contract to from Instagram. I, I have no other advertising. That's great. That man. is that comprehensive and or been that effective. I would say I enjoy the interaction on Instagram and I spend less than 20 minutes a day on there. Yeah. So, and I would say even if you just spent 20 minutes a week, you would still see some results, maybe not quite as much uh, as what you've seen, Jake, you know, Jake, you and Steve are, are active on Instagram and that's made you uh, that's, I, don't, I wouldn't say that's made you, you're, you're obviously smart people and that's made Aww, you, Thank you. but the time invested will help you get to that status of being an influential person in our industry. And, uh, there are people that I would say are influential people in our industry who are not all that, uh, particularly, uh, you know, whatever Steve uh, fill in the phrase Steve. there because they're, because they're on are we talking about Steve, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we... Uh, definitely wasn't Steve. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Um, but we, we talked about that, that the beauty of having this access to information simply means that you have the access to really good information and you have the access, unfortunately, to bad information right. and bad examples. And, you know, you have to be smart enough to kind of, you know, 
wade through it and pick out the the information that you want to search out and and then you have some people and I know he's going to kill me for this but you know Peter who's an absolutely huge wealth of knowledge that's afraid to come into the you know year 2000 and I tell him you know give it that couple minutes every morning and put a post up there it's it it, it would turn things around yeah um, you know, or, or just, I won't say turn things around cause he's doing really well, but it would just, it would, it would pay, like you said, it would pay it's dividends. It's paying me dividends. Certainly. And, and not only that, but the industry, I mean, to tap into Peter's mind is as scary as it may seem. It's, there's a wealth of knowledge. In that, there. That's another that, big one, Steve. Know, every conversation I have with him. I mean, him, that's, that's honestly, I, I walk away with that's something. a big reason why I loved starting my YouTube videos. Cause I had several mentors uh, that had mentored me that were 15 years, 20 years older than me. A lot, a couple of them have retired now. And to think that their knowledge is gone and unavailable to the industry now is kind of sad. And so by making a video, it's a little selfish for me because I'm thinking that maybe my kids someday will, will be builders and they can go back and see how I did it, reap the benefit of it. But it also is to pay it back too, because, because lots of people invested in me. So if I can make a video that will be helpful to our industry and to other builders uh, who can't buy me lunch like I did <laughs> buying other guys lunch and picking their brain, uh, well, so be it. And and that's I mean that's the beauty of your podcast too, right? Guys are going to be listening to this and girls driving down the highway uh, on vacation and uh, on the weekends and going to work, and they're sharpening the saw. They're getting better at their job listening to a couple. Uh, three old guys talk about uh, some wisdom and some mistakes that we've made. Uh, and you guys are, are dropping that knowledge on a regular basis now on the Unbuild It podcast. And that's fantastic. And that's another medium besides video that people are, are, are using big time these days to educate themselves. And how awesome is it that they can subscribe for free on Apple <laughs> iTunes? I listened to uh, episode two this weekend uh, on a run. I was out in my neighborhood for 45 minutes. I had you on on uh, 1.5x speed, and I got the whole podcast <laughs> in one neighborhood run. It was awesome. Well, thank you for listening. I, I prefer like 5x Thanks. speed when I listen to Jake and Peter. That's pretty. <laughs> I think like the, that's pretty hard to take. I think the thing that we run into, especially <laughs> with things like your YouTube channel, and we'll get into Build Show Network in just a second. Uh, People immediately go, oh, well, the manufacturers are paying him to talk about that. And while that might be the case that, like, you know, Steve earlier said that he he is involved with Home Building Crossroads and I am and and your YouTube channel and Build Show Network, that doesn't mean that anybody's doing anything dishonest. And that doesn't mean that our intent is still not to educate, share and, and create a better environment for everybody to work in. It just means that somebody's that's right. Somebody's footing the bill. And I think that that's a difficult thing for the naysayers on uh, online. I mean, as if there aren't enough naysayers in the world, they have to be online too to to get past. And I think that <laughs> there's, I think that the the conversation about well, okay, if you disagree with something that I've said, challenge it on its merit. Don't challenge it on the idea that it was sponsored content. You know. Yeah, yeah, and ultimately everything sponsored content, Eventually. right? The guys at Fine Home Building and. General of Light Construction are not there because they because uh, they enjoy it. They're also getting a paycheck, yeah. uh, and that paycheck is ultimately paid by somebody, <laughs> for sure. So, I mean, unless right. you're unless you're working for the government and getting a government paycheck, uh, you know, there there's some amount of sponsored dollars somewhere. But it's it's all about the integrity of the person. I heard you talk about that on one of the prior podcasts, Steve. Uh, you know, there's there's a sniff test. I think is what you said. And, um, you can, you can smell, uh, when people are honest and genuinely care about doing things and you can tell when maybe it's really more about just pushing a product. Yeah. Uh, and I can tell you my YouTube audience knows that too. Yeah. A, a couple of times I've made videos that were borderline, um, you know, salesy videos where I had to, you know, I had some sponsor, let's say, who wanted to really tell me how the videos was to be made. Certain verbiage and, and those things. videos do terrible. Yeah, exactly. If it's my own words talking about it and, and I genuinely think it's a good product, I can make videos all day, every day about it. Uh, if it's something that I'm like, oh, yeah, it's all right. It's not great. Well, first of all, I don't want your dollars because I don't want to have to talk about your product. Um, but 
But second of all, let me talk about it honestly. And that's pretty much how our contracts go it, these days is we say, look, we're if we're if we're going to talk about your product in a sponsored uh, video or whatever format, you got to let us have creative control over it because we're going to talk about what's what's right uh, and what builders need to know about it and not what your sales sheet says we should talk about yep. it. And not every product solves every problem. That's right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, every product has some kind of setback. And when we when we set out to do the home building crossroads, Peter and I made sure that, you know, when we were talking with Huber and the other sponsors that, listen, we, we like you guys, we like your products, but just understand not every product is perfect. And we're, there's probably going to be times where we say, you know, yeah, this is, you know, a problem with this, but this is how we would solve that problem. And it's it's true of any product. Yep. I mean, every product we use, but. You know, for for the most part, we would choose this because it checks most Agreed. of the boxes, and that would be the one to use. And I think, yeah, that, totally agree. Like we're all saying that that level of honesty is the thing that's the most important. It's the sniff test is is important. Uh, so, yep. we have you've started your own business. You've started a YouTube channel. YouTube is starting to be good for you. You're you're active on Instagram. Talk to us a little bit, and this is a little self-serving because Steve and I are involved. Uh, also, for the listeners, this isn't just a uh, Matt Reisinger come and uh, promote everything that you're doing and then leave. We're assuming that we're going to be able to <laughs> wrangle you back for more in-depth conversation, but I think a good uh, first first oh, yeah, conversation sure, is just a tell us about everything. So tell us a little bit about the Build Show Network featuring Jake Bruton and Steve Basic. Yeah, so... Um about a year and a half ago, um, my COO's brother came to me who had been in the media business uh, working for the uh, IEEE, the International Electrical Engineers Something Society. And uh, he'd been there for 20 plus years. And uh, he came into town and we met and he said, gosh, Matt, your numbers on YouTube are incredible. Like, how much is YouTube paying you uh, on ad share? And I said, and I showed him all the numbers. He's like, this is pennies compared to what they're making on you. Uh, and he said, secondly, what happens if YouTube goes out of business or, you know, decides that uh, they're no longer publishing videos about construction, they're only publishing videos about slime or satisfying things like my 14 year old watches. <laughs> and I said, Oh, it's, it's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. And so he laid out a whole business plan for me uh, to basically make Netflix for builders. Uh, and very quickly I said, this is awesome. We've got to do this. And that's basically the genesis of buildshownetwork.com, Jake, uh, where the idea is we could, we could create our own website, um, that's different from the rest of the educational websites out there. We're, we're in kind of a new world these days where, uh, generally speaking, I'd rather watch a video about something than read an instruction manual than read an article about it. Um, not to say that I don't still subscribe to Journal of Light Construction and Fine Home Building. I, I certainly do. But for the most part, when it's time for me to uh, uh, to get educated as a builder, I love going to video uh, because video gives me um, a whole lot more data than a written article does with a couple photographs. And that's really, I think, been the secret of my success on YouTube has been really good information presented in a format that's quite digestible in the way we we digest today. And so Build Show Network, the idea was born. And then I, I said, all right, well, we can't just have my videos on there. That's just uh, that's lame. <laughs> and I really wanted to be able to reach people in all different types of markets and different personalities and uh, different building styles, all these things. And so I started thinking in my head, well, what if we had multiple contributors on this build show network? Uh, and that's when I started thinking of you guys. Uh, and if you're not familiar with build show network, we have four builders uh, and one architect. And I'll give you a guess who that architect <laughs> is. Uh, Steve basic. The first architect, Steve Basic Again, architect, he's raising his hand Steve Basic architect during the podcast, <laughs> like people are going to see it. <laughs> That's been a common theme lately. And here. Uh, 
<laughs> and of course, Jake, you're a no brainer too to add to the uh, thank you to the Bilchin Network. You're one of the first names that popped in my mind. I mean, I've always learned something from you every time you've published an article and made a YouTube video. You're a natural born teacher, like Steve is, like I am, like Brent and Jake are, where you know you've been around the block. Uh, you've seen things, you've done things the wrong way and you've corrected Mm. them. Uh, you've made mistakes, you've learned, you've researched. Uh, and so the idea on build show network is really a group of wise, uh, educators that can help that next generation of builder, remodeler, architect, uh, gain some wisdom and not have to make the same mistakes that we've made. And then I think the other kind of uh, interesting thing about Bilchin Network, which is also true of my YouTube channel, is we also have a whole group of people watching that are interested in building their own house someday and want to look over the fence and see what the pros um, are saying. I've always said that's the reason why I find Home Building Magazine is sold at the airport, not because builders are traveling and buying it, but because people people want to know what the pros are. Yeah, there's doctors and lawyers and engineers and... Uh, computer scientists and all these people that are traveling and they're wanting to, it's the American dream to build your own house. Uh, I'm building my own house currently. It's the first time I've ever built a brand new house for my family. And it's, it's like every day I get up, I'm giddy thinking about my house under construction and, and uh, getting to walk through it and see it. And uh, thinking about the stages coming up and the products I'm going to use and the processes. And do we ultimately I'm planning on living there a long time. Do we not legally still have to call it a remodel? Uh, a, I just modified a, my permit, so I think I'm gray can area. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 1970 slab, if that okay. counts. Okay. Uh, do we think there's anything so the still living the underneath the slab? No, I think I think it's all dead at this point. We're good. Okay. No more rats in there. Uh, and being able to, I worked with a local architect uh, on the architecture of the Big A, and then Steve um, has come in and, and worked with me on all the details, man. Uh, and a little bit of news that I haven't announced anywhere uh, until this podcast, and I haven't talked about it even on social yet, is uh, I had Skylar Swinford um, run the numbers for me. And on first pass, it looks like we meet passive house standards. Uh, wow, look at that. So I need to decide if I'm going to go for certification, but... Well, if I mean, you, it seems like it'd be stupid. If you want somebody to, to train that. you on the air sealing, the actual hands-on part, not the theory part, you can. I'll come down. <laughs> then I can go down there. <laughs> oh, that's good. Actually, I did need. To, I wanted to ask you some questions about that, Jay, because honestly, I'm. I feel like I'm about five years behind you when it comes to air sealing, and Maybe most more. of what I know is from watching you do Steve's details on your job. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, you want to get nerdy, this isn't going to publish till late summer. So people have already seen it on your YouTube channel. You want to talk about it? Or is it better off the Yeah, air? you know, one here's a question. Here's a question that, that I have been thinking about. Like, at my where my panel comes in the house, how do you air seal all those crazy wires and details? Like, are... Should I have a sub panel feeding from another panel? So I just have one big wire to air seal. Like what's well, so you have how do you, uh, you have your, uh, your like, meter on the outside of the house is the wire from it to your your panels. The only thing penetrating the air barrier. Correct. Yeah. So then everything yep. else is coming down an interior wall. So it doesn't really matter or it's coming in inside the air barrier. Yeah, I guess that's right. So one wire at a and time. Then really anything that's penetrating. Yeah, I was just going to say that. So any, anything that goes from through the air barrier needs to be one one wire per hole, yep. right? Yep. For, and since then, this and is, this is my podcast, we can, we can be, or not my podcast, a podcast that I'm part of, uh, we can be slightly vulgar. And uh, one of my project managers put it best. He said, think of air sealing wires and pipes and conduit as the uh, adult content that your grandparent watched. It's one thing per hole. <laughs> okay, I got the visual. See, the scary thing is your grandparent uh, and me are probably the same generation. That's the scary that thing. Scary. 
And I'm pretty close to being your dad as well, I think, Jake, to be oh, honest. you're not that much older than me, or but if, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry for everybody yeah, that's else, grossed I'm out. your <laughs> much older brother. <laughs> you will never forget that rule, though, now. That project manager no, that said that, true. and I thought, uh, if I say that to any subcontractor, A, they're going to think it's funny, but B, they are never going to forget that rule. That's as silly true. as it is, they, they don't forget it. So, One thing in one hole. <laughs> Got it. No matter what it is. Okay, so what's right, next? What's deal. next on the Matt Reisinger uh, list of conundrums? I don't know, man. We hit a lot so far. We're an hour in, right? Yeah. We are. Yeah, yeah hour and five minutes, something like that. Uh, okay, well, I think that uh, if this seems to you, Steve, like a natural place, I think that uh, I'm guessing we can wrangle Matt back for another episode since he's our boss and this helps promote Oh yeah, this helps promote Build Show Network and his YouTube channel if we let him talk about it. Uh, Heck yeah, you know and, it. I like to promote <laughs> I would say thank you very much for coming on the podcast. You didn't have to do this. We know you're a busy man, even though you're stuck at home right now because there's no building going on in Austin. But thank you very much. Uh, Steve, do you have anything to add? Yep. No, I just a, a huge thanks, Matt. Greatly appreciate your time, your effort here. Um, you're, you're, and thank you for your effort in the building industry. I appreciate that. You know, one, I, I, I'll throw out one shout out. It's more of a beef with the general public, but I get really frustrated when, you, you know, you put up a video on YouTube or something and people want to spend 90% of all the comments talking about what was the cost per square foot of that project mm. or how much did that cost? It's like it. Get over it. And and it's not that financial part isn't important, but we're really trying to get across some concepts here of building and, you know, find it, find a less expensive way to do what we're saying and, you know, help us out. But right now, this is how we do things. This is the right way to do things. Good things cost money. Get over it and, and appreciate, you know, Matt's efforts for what Matt's trying to bring to the table. He's not trying to bring a you know, $800 a square foot project to the table and say, oh, look at me, I'm building really cool buildings. He's not doing that. He's he's trying to bring some sound education. Thanks, so, Steve. So take it for what it's worth and and learn a little something. Appreciate there. that, brother. And thank you. And and same goes back right back to you guys. You guys have been, you guys are cut from the same cloth. You care about doing it right. Uh, I've heard you guys talk about uh, your progression and doing things better and better. And I feel the same way. Every building I build should be better than the last one. And I would say the, uh, the absolute best pro tip that I can give about those, uh, that comment that Steve just made is if you look for any of Matt's YouTube videos that have myself or Steve involved with them, go to the comments and look for Steve in the comments. If you want hours of entertainment of him battling <laughs> against everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's it's such a pet peeve with me it's like the minute matt does a video and he says oh the video's up i go right in and i hit the comments oh, you're so good at us dude and, i love and it i, fight right I usually let him go i, I, I get a phone call at eight o'clock on saturday morning and he goes hey did you read that and i'm like did i read what and he goes i was just in the comments for like an hour and a half did you read any of them i'm like no but i that, i'm gonna stop the rest of my day and go see what you had to say because i love it he even defended me on Instagram today, and I was just like, I'm not responding to that person. Steve's like, oh, I did. You should go and look. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Oh, I love it, Steve. You're the best, man. So awesome, dude. <laughs> okay. Once a Marine, always a Marine, Steve. We are going to say thank you there for you listening today, Matt. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. We're gonna we're gonna call this uh, Matt Reisinger part one, and we're gonna have him back and talk business another time. I bet. So, thank you guys for listening. Until next time on the Unbuild It podcast, I'm Jake Bruton. Let's see if Matt I'm can Steve do it without Bezer. anybody prompting him to do it. And I'm Matt Reisinger. <laughs> Have a good day, guys. <laughs> Dang it, I wasn't sure. <laughs> All right, bye. See ya. See ya.